The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, it's Eric Savitz. I'm Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's. Welcome to another Barron's Live. I am excited to have with me today uh, my my long-term uh, long-term friend, Dan Niles, who is a, uh, a hedge fund manager who's been working in uh, on the street for a long time, uh, originally on the buy side, originally on the sell side as an analyst and now uh, running uh, the Satori Fund, uh, which is a, a hedge fund focus on the technology sector. Uh, Dan, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Eric. So, you know, Dan, when we've, we talk uh, regularly and, and coming into the year, you were pretty, um, you were pretty bearish about the outlook for, uh, for the markets. And that has certainly borne out. Um, it has been a difficult um, market. Give us a little bit of a, a high level uh, view of what you were expecting coming in, how it's played out and how you're feeling about the long-term, the the big picture now. Yeah, I think the big picture is what's important. Um, So if you step back and you think about the markets in general, the compounded annual return for the S&P over time is 6%. Now, if you think about the last three years before this year, the S&P, including dividends, roughly doubled over a three-year period of time. And more specifically, if you think about the year the pandemic started, after the market had already been up 29% calendar 19, the S&P was up 16% the year a global pandemic started. (laughs) And then last year, it was up another 27% with the global pandemic continuing. So you either think a global pandemic is really wonderful, (laughs) right? Because that's what the markets are telling you. Or you have to sit there and go, you know, there's something else going on. And if that changes, then I've got a problem. So what is that something else? Well, that something else is the fact that the Federal Reserve put in 3.2 trillion in stimulus since the global financial crisis. So their balance sheet expanded by that much. Then when the pandemic started, they increased their balance sheet by 3 trillion in four months. On top of it, you had, you know, uh, a lot of stimulus coming out from the federal government at the same time over the last couple of years because of the pandemic. And by the way, you can get away with all of this for a very long period of time, as long as there's no inflation. Right. Because there's about 45% of the U.S. population that doesn't own stocks. You know, similarly, there's about 40% that don't own homes. Now, if you own stocks or you own homes, that's great because home prices are actually up more year over year now than they were during the housing bubble, Mm. right? Which most people forget. And so if you own inflation assets, stocks, homes, et cetera, you know, that's great. But the 45% of the population that doesn't is dealing with going and filling up their cars, heating their homes, going to the grocery store, 
they're getting absolutely killed because inflation's at the highest level in 40 years. Mm -hmm. So this is a long-winded way of me saying that, you know, inflation is the linchpin to all of this. And that's why we were very negative coming into this year, because our view was that inflation sitting at 40-year highs was going to force the Fed, which was way behind the curve. This is, in my opinion, the most clueless Fed we've had since the 1970s. Because if you look at where inflation is relative to the Fed's funds rate, it's even worse than it was in the 1970s. So the Fed's policy mistake was not raising rates last year and reducing the stimulus. And so none of this, though, matters if valuations weren't so high. And so if you look at my favorite measure, which is you take the market cap of the entire stock market, you divide it by the GDP of the entire stock market that's sitting at about 1.8 times. And the reason I look at GDP to sales is that takes out all the funny accounting gimmicks of you know taking out stock compensation and all right. of this other stuff. And you're just looking at a very high level metric before you can manipulate the numbers at the EPS level. By the way, the comparison is 1.4 times at the peak of the tech bubble versus 1.8 today. And the 50 year average is 0.8. And by the way, when you're in a high inflation environment, the multiple is typically below average. So if you look at the 1970s and you look at a PE basis, which a lot of people prefer, you started with a PE of 20 times. And when inflation got going, that PE went from 20 times to seven. Mm. So I think it's important to step back, look at the big picture and think about it. And the thing that the Russia situation has done is it makes inflation even more entrenched because you know you're disrupting a lot of the world's agricultural supply like wheat wheat mm -hmm. was up 60 percent in a week um things like nickel for industrial you know nickel was up over 60 percent in a day um you're obviously screwing up oil production as well and so all of these things which were already having problems before the russian invasion of ukraine it's just made it that much worse and so now you're looking at a potential for a recession next year, combined with having to raise rates because of the high inflation. That's what you call stagflation. That was the problem in the 1970s. And, you know, in some ways, this is very similar to what happened with the Arab oil embargo, except in this case, it's an invasion that's causing sort of the same issue. So do, do, that's do why you, we were were pretty negative. So do, do you think that the, the Ukraine situation does anything to slow the Fed's, uh, I mean, the Fed has said they're going to raise rates. So that, it's not going to slow them down at all. It won't slow them down. No, because the thing is that they may be, they may have been completely clueless up until now, <laughs> but they're finally figuring out that they really screwed up. Because now you've got the 45% of the population that that's just getting absolutely destroyed by inflation. It's hurting them quite a bit. And I think they've figured out that, hey, we've got a lot of these structural things. Because don't forget, there's a lot of structural stuff that's changed too, right? Used to be you'd produce things in low-cost regions of the world. Well, now, you know, you don't want to get your oil from Russia. You don't want to get your chips from China. Because China may go into Taiwan, which, by the way, we wrote about this on December 28th. Our two big risks coming into this year were Russia going into the Ukraine and China uh, reunifying Taiwan. So now all of a sudden you're trying to build 
fabs in Arizona, which is a lot more expensive than building it in China. You've got a lot less people being born every year. That's inflationary as well because there's less workers. Um, so you've got all of these things going on that are long-term inflationary that the Fed's looking at that they're going to have to deal with. Um, and so that's why I don't think it's going to slow the Fed down at all. And in fact, if you think longer term, which is what the Fed should be doing, what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine, that means that you're disrupting multiple different supplies now in agriculture, metals, as well as oil, which we were already bullish on coming into this year. And so the Fed's going to have to actually, if they look out further, go, you know what, inflation's likely to be a bigger problem than we even thought. That's what's going to keep them, unfortunately, having to go um, when they really don't want to. So you you came into this year, Dan, uh, saying that you thought we'd get at least a 20% correction uh, or a downturn in the S&P uh, trough. Uh, we've gotten at least half of that. And and in fact, in if you look at the NASDAQ composite, we've already corrected 20%. Depends on what day it is, if the markets are volatile. But we've seen a big correction already on NASDAQ stocks. And, and of course, below the surface, we'll get to this in a minute, there's a lot more serious damage. I mean, there's a lot of stuff down 40, 50, 60%, 70% for the peak, 80% in some cases. How far through this do you think we are from a sort of broad market perspective? How much further do we have to go to get to a bottom? Well, this is what I would tell you. There's a time component of this that people forget because we've been sort of spoiled because for the last 13 years, anytime the market went down, the Fed would go ahead and expand their balance sheet, cut rates, et cetera, because you didn't have any inflation. So anybody who's been investing in the markets for the last 13 years thinks, oh, every downturn only lasts a few months. If you actually go back and look at downturns of 30% or so, and in, and in particular, if you look at the three inflation caused downdrafts in the market, so the late 1960s, the uh, early 1970s, and then when Volcker went after inflation, he got appointed by Jimmy Carter, reappointed by Ronald Reagan. The one that started in 1980, which I think is the most relevant to today, if you think about it, um, you know, that those downturns were between 18 to 21 months to find a floor in the stock market. Right. So there's a time component to this because inflation didn't just show up overnight. It's been building for over a year, which is the same thing that happened in the 1960s. Right. You went from a low inflation environment to Richard Nixon, you know, changed the head of the Federal Reserve and ran very expansionary monetary policies, got reelected in 49 out of 50 states, and then you got huge inflation. But that was the cause of everything that happened in the 60s leading up to that. And it took Volcker starting in 1980 to actually kill it off, if you if you think through this. Well, that was a decade. Right. So, you know, I think for me, I look at the time component of this and say this was a problem 13 years in the making. And specifically the last three years where with COVID, yeah, you needed to respond aggressively, throw out tons of stimulus, expand the balance sheet hard. But then what you should have been doing is last year cutting back on all of this stuff. Right. And so it's going to take that much longer to work through it. So my thing is I was thinking at least 20 percent, but you have to put the down 20 to 50 on the table because you go valuations are well above normal, 1.8 times versus 0.8 on average. 
and you say you're so far behind the curve, the Fed's going to have to be that much more aggressive. Because trust me, President Biden doesn't want inflation at these levels when he when you've got midterm elections in November. He's going to lose. The Democrats are going to lose badly in that situation. So there's a political component to this too, because there's 45 percent of your constituency that doesn't care that home prices are up a lot, stock prices are up a lot because they don't own either. Right. So I think that combination is why I don't think we're anywhere near this because some of this is structural. It's took years to create. And so it's going to take a fight to bring inflation down to levels that make sense. Um, so that's how I'm thinking about it. one to two years to find a bottom. To go, uh, to got my, uh, my, my Ford era whip inflation now button. Yes, exactly. Get, that's, get that's my wind button out of storage. So let, let, let's talk about, so, so for technology stocks, um, you know, We've just been kind of we're kind of now through the tech earnings uh, a reporting period for the fourth quarter, and we just had the January uh, year end reporters, and the numbers were generally not bad. Like we're still seeing a lot of growth in many of these companies. How do you think about approaching tech stocks here? You've got a, you know some of the the pandemic era winners, almost all, almost every one of them have been crushed. Uh, whether you're talking about Zoom or Peloton or Shopify, or there's like a whole laundry list of them, obviously. I wonder how you're thinking about approaching technology shares here and and whether whether it's time to start bottom fishing a little bit in some of these names or whether it's just too early. And then let's walk after that, let's walk through some of the sectors that you do or don't like. Sure. I, I think... People need to realize how stupid they are. <laughs> and that's the best way to put it. Like, as I've gotten older, you learn more, and then you realize how dumb you actually are because you realize how much you actually don't know. Right. So if you go back to 2000, this is a great example of it, right? E-commerce was obviously in its infancy. Amazon, at the beginning of 1999, was growing revenues at 230% or so year over year. Stock was at 106, was at its peak. By the September quarter of 2001, we were in a recession. Their, their revenue growth year over year went from 230% to zero. <laughs> zero. The stock went from 106 to six. They survived. Yeah. Now, I think we can all agree that e-commerce was much more in, in its infancy 20 years ago versus today. Sure. But nobody was predicting at that point it, it took two years to kind of get to the level of going, wow, this is really slowing down. Um, Akamai, it's a similar situation, right? You, you go back and you look at the stock. The stock was at 345 bucks on 90 million in revenues in 2000. Today, it's doing 3.7 billion in revenues and the stock's at 108. Cisco was the most valuable company in the world at one point, it did about 19 billion in revenue. Stock was at about $82 a share back in its peak in 2000. Today, they're going to do 53 billion in revenues. The stock's about 55. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to realize valuations change depending on what your growth rates are. And we're going from a period of time where growth was supercharged because of the Fed and the federal governments, because there was no inflation and you could do whatever you wanted. Now you're going into the reverse and you have to put a recession on the table next year. 
So that's why I think it's, and, and then you've got this pandemic switch, which people were willing to ignore last year. So if you think about it, Amazon's, you know, earnings got absolutely crushed last year. Right. Um, from the March quarter, it went from, I think, $19 a share in the March quarter to $6 a share in September quarter of EPS. But the stock was up last year. Right. You look at Netflix. They missed the March quarter subscriber numbers, the June quarter subscriber numbers, managed to make September. But the stock was up last year. Right. This year they missed. Stock's getting killed. And the, the, the big change is the Fed and inflation and people having to deal with it. So. That's why I think, yes, from your from a bottom fishing standpoint, we tweet about this at, you know, uh, on my Twitter account. But if you look at downturns in the market um, and Volkers is a good example, right? When we went through that, it took 21 months. Market went down 27 percent. But you had six rallies in the S&P over 21 months that averaged 8 percent. Each one of those times, people think it's a bottom. <laughs> oh my God, the bad news is discounted. I got to buy stocks. Look at how much they're up. And by the way, if you go look at the 10, 30% or so corrections since the 1920s that you've had, it's the same thing. You get these moves lower, then you retrace about 70% on average of the moves lower before then it turns around and you go even lower still. And there's this grinding thing that happens and in some ways, it's related to, I think, the earnings cycle, where every company reports, they all cut their numbers, and everybody goes, okay, it's the bottom. So then everybody gets bullish for two months. Then they have to all report again. And the numbers go even lower. The stocks right. go lower. But of course, it's the bottom now. And you kind of keep repeating the cycle. And then finally, you break. And then you find the bottom. And, and, and I think that's what's going on now, because like you brought up Shopify, right? Like the numbers keep going lower. A mm -hmm. lot of these e-commerce names and numbers keep going lower. And, you know, and, but the valuations were insane to begin with back to Cisco, Akamai, Amazon back in 2000. And so and there, a lot of them are not making money. That's the other thing. I always call this I'm calling this the Jerry Maguire market. Right. Because it's show me the money. Right. Right. Last year it was like, show me the dream. Like, well, how big is it, the market in yeah. you know, and 10 you know, to 20 years? Right. And, and there have been a few recent examples of companies not making money and then announcing that uh, in, in the course of doing earnings that they're so excited about the opportunity that they're going to invest money and increase their losses. We saw this yesterday with Asana. Okta did this recently. And the market is not, this is not a friendly environment. Uh, for companies to be saying we're going to lose even more money than when we thought we were going to lose before, or you thought we were going to lose before. And, you know, you see today, Asana is down about 25% on their uh, earnings announcement yesterday, which is, by the way, and their their guidance also has higher top-line growth. Uh, but mm -hmm. they would, the, the market is not forgiving, to your point, on uh, money losing. Well, and here's the thing. Any company that tells me that three to five years from now, this is what they're going to be doing, I just assume the management team is inexperienced and doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> because I saw this in 2000, right? I mean, Cisco, I remember for the longest time, I think John Chambers, who I think is a brilliant CEO, by the way, but you know, for the longest time it was, well, we're gonna grow 40 to 60% a year, you know? And then that number continued to get cut. Right. And, and the thing is that I think, you know, CEOs are supposed to be optimistic, right? 
Like you're never going to found a company that changes the world if you're not. But the problem is, is that people then put too high a multiple on that. And again, back to Amazon, right? 230% growth in 1999 to zero by 2001. Like things slow down a lot faster than you think, just like they can go up a lot more than you think. And, you know, to your point on Asana, you have to have the balance sheet to be able to withstand an actual honest to God recession where the Fed can't bail you out because you have high inflation. If you don't have cash on your balance sheet and your stock keeps going lower, it gets way more expensive to get capital to continue to grow right. because you're burning money every quarter. You may go out of business. I mean, there were 4,000 or so internet companies that went out of business in when the tech bubble broke, Amazon was able to get through it. Right. But you took a lot of punishment. So a lot of these companies, you know, the Jerry Maguire, you have to show the money on the balance sheet that you can right. grow profitably and you have cash flow, real money being generated, not the gimmicky, you know, exclude everything. So it looks like you're making money. Right. Um, so I want to um, I want to talk about uh, uh, we're going to do sort of a oh, I'll try and turn it into sort of a lightning round here because there's a, there's limited time and then there's a lot to talk about in terms of stocks. I want to talk about a few things that you do like. Mm -hmm. um, we, so from uh, in our, our discussions before this uh, um, session, uh, you mentioned, for example, that you are optimistic about some of the hardware providers that play into sort of the cloud and networking uh, trend. Talk a little bit about that. I think, uh, I think that's quite intriguing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep this quick. Um, so if you think about it, the pandemic forced everybody onto the internet. So the big cloud providers, so Amazon Web Services, Google, Microsoft, Azure, they're spending a lot of money to expand those out. So you have a big investment cycle in that. Mm -hmm. um, also over the last two years, nobody's had to go back into the office. Now people are going back into the office. So enterprises are spending on the infrastructure at their offices that they haven't done for two years. Mm -hmm. And then the final piece of it is 5G, you know, there's more uh, devices running on that. There's a lot of growth. And so the companies last year spent a lot on spectrum auctions. This year, they're building out that spectrum that they then bought. So you have three different investment cycles all going on at the same time. And so we've got positions and names like Cisco. We bought Ericsson and Nokia recently because, as you know, Europe got killed because of its proximity to Russia and all that's going on. Uh, we bought some Sienna recently. Um, we bought, we own Lumentum as well, which is probably our favorite out of the group. And, and these are names that are generating money. Um, most of them have below market multiples of the S&P. And we think that for the next several years, you're going to have investment in that space going on. And so we like that. Um, other spaces that we sort of like um, is the reopening stock. So we've started buying some of the names um, you know, uh, in that space that we go, okay, you know, we, I'm going to be having a vacation for the first time in three years um, late this year. Um, and so, you know, the travel oriented stuff, we're starting to accumulate some of those um, also. Um, and we like sports betting as well, because now, you know, back to, you got to be able to make profitable growth. You had some ridiculous, you know, uh, spending on advertising last year, like Caesars was, if you put in 3000 into your account and you're a new person, they give you $3,000 to bet with. Like all of those things have gone away. And so that's a new space. We think that's going to grow. Um, sure, we're starting sure. to pick away at some of that stuff. 
on, on the travel side, um, would you buy the sort of Uber, Lyft, like some of the internet? Yes. Uh, so yeah, to give you some names. So we bought a little bit of Uber. We bought a little bit of Airbnb. We bought uh, some of the dating stuff. Uh, so we own Match um, as well. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to go look at some of the, um, you know, the airline stocks at some point in here um, as well. Um, the other stuff that we did like also is the solar space. Um, you can, you know, your viewers can look at iClean, um, ICLN, um, which is a good representation of stocks in that space because, you know, Europe has it's decided. Yeah, it's an ETF. Yeah. Um, you know, because uh, Europe's decided, look, we can't be beholden to Russia and energy. So that's a structural investment they're going to have to be making over a long period of time. And that index is down like 35% or so from its highs. Um, and that's a more diversified, less risky way rather than, you know, picking an individual stock uh, for some of your investors. But, you know, the one thing I would say, because I don't want this to slip through the cracks, remember most stocks won't be able to get out of a 20% plus correction in the S&P. So for us, the reason I'm mentioning these sectors is we've got a lot of shorts on overvalued names in the tech space that aren't making money. Um, you know, if you don't have the desire or ability to manage your portfolio daily, because we're, we're literally buying and selling stocks sometimes within the same day. Um, and sometimes going from long to short, like we did with Apple recently. Um, so you have to, if you can't do that, then you're better off just sitting in cash versus trying to bottom fish some of these names that may hold up better, right? Which I think they will than the overall market, but you still end up losing money. You're just going to lose less. And so that's the one thing I would caution people listening to this is, you know, for us, we made money in the first quarter of 2000 when COVID hit. It wasn't because our longs were doing great. It's because we were able to manage the risk with shorts. We've made money so far through February. Same thing, longs getting hit, but we've got shorts and we're managing with a lot of cash. You know, obviously the names we like are still going down, but our shorts are going down more because a lot of them aren't making any money. And so you don't want to forget that if you're a retail investor and think about how you can invest or are able to invest or comfortable investing. So I want to I want to touch on a couple of um, uh, uh, big cap names that I know there's some uh, questions about from the audience. One is uh, is Meta. Um, you know, uh, the Facebook parent Meta has had a terrible run here. They were they reports <laughs> they reported earnings that no one liked. Uh, they they gave a uh, they gave guidance uh, that was uh, well below where anybody had anticipated. They're being hurt by Apple's uh, advertising changes. They have new competition from. TikTok, they're spending a lot of money um, in on the, whatever the metaverse is going to turn out to be. Um, and yet the stock has become statistically at least cheap relative to most, both its own history and uh, relative to, to the major indexes. How do you feel about meta here? Is it safe to buy? Is it a bargain? Yeah, so Meta has been one of my disasters this year because, <laughs> you know, uh, it was a name I thought that could, you know, get through this because I thought a lot of the Apple pain was through it. But the one thing you didn't mention, uh, Eric, and I, I tweeted about this is when we saw the press release the day they reported um, in April and we saw the mention competition. Right. I was like, 
That makes no sense because they're they're obliquely referring to TikTok. Now, TikTok has been around since 2017 in its current form when it bought Musical.ly. And I'm like, you know, it's been around for four or five years. Right. So why are you mentioning that now? That made me go ahead and turn around and sell it at around 250 in the aftermarket. And I, you know, it was already down like 20% at that point. Now the stock's obviously not at 250 anymore. It's at, I don't know where it is today, like 190-ish. Um, but yeah, it's statistically cheap at 13 times, but, but it's actually a good cautionary tale because it tells you how quickly the market can turn when growth or competition or something is more than you're thinking. Because I would have never guessed it would have gotten to 13 times with the S&P sitting at 19 times. Because right. it still has, you know, nobody's going to stop using social media. We'll just use it a little bit less because, you know, of reopening or people might be more on TikTok. Right. They, they have what has to be the largest user base of almost any company of any kind in the world, right? They have absolutely three and a half billion users. Half the planet almost is using it. Yeah. I can't think of any, I don't know, maybe Coca-Cola. Like there, there isn't anybody that has that kind of user base. But, yeah. but the other, it is true though, that in the most recent quarter, I think for the first time they announced a, a slight decline in in monthly average users. I don't think they'd ever done that before for core Facebook. And yep. that was a red flag for sure. Well, but here, here's the funny thing, right? Back to your point. You know who also announced this back in 2019? Netflix. <laughs> right. And people then just ignored it right. because you had COVID, right? They already ran into a saturation issue, which then people promptly forgot about. And now people are focused on it. So the pandemic did a lot to hide flaws in a lot of companies. Um, and, you know, if you look at Facebook, right? Yeah, we're not going to stop use, using social media, right? To keep in contact with people, et cetera. There, but, you know, we, we'll go on vacation. We'll do other things. We're not going to spend as much time in front of social media. We're not going to sit on our Peloton bikes or stream movies on Netflix when we're, you know, taking a flight to Hawaii, to our favorite hotel, surfing, <laughs> et cetera, you're going to spend your time doing other things. That's another thing I always like to say is this year is more about, you know, last year it was sell me stuff. This is sell me services, sell me the hotel, the flight, the experience, the vacation I wanted to take. And so, and that means you're not going to be sitting in front of social media as much, but it's still a very interesting space. I'm looking at Facebook because I'm always about, you know, when do people get too negative and when is there a disconnect between that because there's two things we haven't talked about people need to be really concerned of is there has there been overspending on stuff so things like smartphones or pcs where you needed that to work from home but you don't need two smartphones one at the office and one at home right right is that going to slow down when we get to the fourth quarter of this year like your PC, you could argue maybe you do because you have a home office now and you need as powerful a computer at home because maybe now you're on a permanent hybrid you know, work environment. So maybe you get through that. But there's some other risks that we, you know, people haven't necessarily focused on because the stock is hung in well. But that can change in a heartbeat like we saw with my disaster with Facebook. Um, right. Google, I like better, honestly, than Facebook, mm -hmm. if people want an alternative, because with right. Google, you do have 10 to 15% of revenues from things like hotels, airlines, you know, vacation destinations that should improve 
the problem right now with all of the uh, internet companies, which viewers may not be aware of, is that when you have a, a bad geopolitical event like we're having right now with Russia and the Ukraine, advertisers step back a little bit because they don't necessarily want to be showing you a cheery ad for a vacation spot right next to a video of buildings getting blown up and people with, you know, in real dire straits. <laughs> and so there's some of that that's going on. So you may have, you know, even names like Google, like we're, we're trying to think through this, may even have some of these internet names that look really beaten up where the numbers actually still need to go lower because of what's going on geopolitically. So, you know, there's other risks in here that it's changing so much you need to think about a little bit. So I'm curious if when you look at the set of companies that have been hit the hardest here, well, the, the pandemic place, uh, we, we, we've talked about a few of them, right? Whether it's Netflix or Zoom, uh, DocuSign, which reports earnings later today, um, uh, there's a whole bunch of them. Are, is there anything in that group that you would yes. speculate on? Yeah, there, there are a few that we started buying recently, which I'm getting punished for today, <laughs> which is in the, um, the fintech space. So, mm -hmm. you know, what we're trying to think about is we do think some um, behaviors have changed, right? People have gotten more comfortable to doing banking, lending, et cetera, on the Internet because, you know, I used Apple Pay more in the last you know, year than I did in the past 10 years, right? So we've started to look at some of the fintech names like square is one that we bought we've got like four different names that we started to nibble at um over this last you know rollover in the market mm -hmm. um but you know quite honestly uh, you know some of them are making money and but the valuations are still high so you're dealing with that combination but i feel like buy now pay later you know that's that's something that's going to continue to grow pretty quickly. Um, those companies are going to continue to take share. And so it's stuff that I like, but I'm always looking for shorts that I can put on the other side of it. And so like we we have a big basket of shorts and consumer discretionary because we're saying, all right, right. if you're buying less stuff, then obviously the payment side is going to slow down too, right? You've seen that with PayPal, right? As an example, right? right? Because e-commerce growth is slowed. So you're using your PayPal less and you've seen numbers come down. The stock gotten absolutely crushed um, off of it. So you need to be aware you're not going to escape the macro, right? Back to Amazon, 230% growth to zero um, back uh, during the tech bubble. But the fintech space is one that we've gone and looked at. The solar stuff also, where a lot of those names have gotten absolutely destroyed. You know, they went up a lot on Biden getting elected. They've gotten crushed off of some of the policies like in California. Um, that's something that we're, you know, we, we've started speculate, speculating in again, just given what's going on with energy dependency on Russia. Um, so, yes, we have started, you know, the sports betting stuff. Like we, we bought a little bit of DraftKings recently, um, as an example. Now they're losing a lot of money, which bothers me. But you've also got. You know, California is going to have on the referendum sports betting probably later this year. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, a lot of the crazy promotions have gone away. Um, and so, yes, we are starting to look at stuff that's down 50 to 80 percent. But again, we're always going, what can I short against that? Because I don't know where the floor is right, right. now. Um, but I'm trying to match growth. That's solid infrastructure, you know, the Cisco's, et cetera. Um, 
against stuff that was maybe overly inflated because of too much stimulus, et cetera. So consumer uh, discretionary names, then now you got a problem with inflation, people spending on services, not goods. And so you're trying to match that up to hopefully enable you to make money, even if the market does go down 20% plus. So I wanted, we're already a little over time, but I have one other thing I wanted you to address, which is um, one area that uh, where we've seen consistent, um, uh, has been a consistent element of the story, particularly for the hardware players that you like, in fact, is semiconductor shortages, right? So you've had um, throughout the last, I don't know, year or more, we've seen shortages of semiconductors for, for multiple reasons, right? Uh, in part, because demand is so high. Um, and, you know, you had just-in-time uh, just inventory management. There's a whole bunch of things that are playing into that. You've got, uh, you, you do have, as you mentioned, uh, people building new fabs, Intel's building fabs in Arizona and in Ohio. Um, but it does raise some questions about both the opportunity in semiconductors and, in, and also in the equipment companies that supply the, you know, the, the expensive hardware that you need to actually build a fab. And so I'm curious if you have any um, view on both chips and, uh, you know, relatedly on the equipment names as well. Yeah, I think there are several things that are going on at the same time. Right now, I don't think we own a single semiconductor name. Um, here's the, bull the bullish case of it, which is we can't be reliant on China slash Taiwan for our supply of chips. So we need to build fabs, build secure source of supply in the US because you know Europe may be dependent on Russia for energy, we're dependent on Taiwan for chips. Um, I 100% believe in the next four years, and I think there's a good 50-50 shot before the end of this year, given the midterm elections coming up, that China will go ahead and try to reunify Taiwan. You just look at some of the statements they're making um, around Russia and the Ukraine, and they're, you know, them saying it's completely different with Taiwan, you know, because it's always been part of China. Now, so if you think through that situation, you go, well, what happens if that occurs? Because TSMC, for example, supplies, you know, over half the chips that are not manufactured directly by companies themselves. Mm -hmm. That raises a lot of risk for the fabulous U.S. semiconductor companies. Right. Um, and we've seen what happens when you ignore those risks, <laughs> like when Russia went into the Ukraine. Right. Um, so on the one hand, it's positive because we are going to invest belatedly in, in our own manufacturing in regions that are much more friendly from a political standpoint to us. And that's the positive. But the problem is when you end up with the supply disruption, that's a negative. So long, so long term, it's good because you're going to spend a lot more money to build duplicative capacity in the United States right. and, and in Europe to offset what's you know, in China and Taiwan that we get supplied. The bad news is in the near term, I firmly believe there's some risk coming out of that region. Um, and so that's why we're right now not involved. Um, and I'm still trying to work through mentally because you're 100% right, you know, the, the nature of your question, things are very, a lot of those stocks are very cheap the growth should be good for multiple years. There's obviously no supply, well, not no supply, but you know, there's, sh there's shortages of chips right now. 
Um, and Moore's law is, you know, close to dead. So you're having to invest more right. to get the same kind of production uh, speed increases. Um, and so that's also positive for cap equipment spending. Um, so right. cap equipment, I'm more positive on than chips, but both of them, you have to think about a little bit the geopolitical risk that you're dealing with. And I certainly would not own high multiple companies in the semi space, because as we've seen with like a Facebook, you know, if there's some issue and we hear, oh, you know, PC demand, you know, there was some, you know, because don't forget, like PC unit sales year over year were down six out of seven years, you know, prior to COVID or five out of seven, something like that. You know, smartphone unit sales were down like three, you know, three years prior to COVID. Um, and then those, you know, growth rates exploded um, to over 30% plus, some cases over 60% um, uh, on the smartphone side, in particular quarters, if you hear, oh, well, you know what, we consumers already upgraded everything, you're going to have a real problem with some of the multiples in that group. So that's the stuff that we're going through in our head um, uh, right now. Right. Because the, the, it does. I was curious about it in part because of some of the some of the chip makers that play directly into the some of the comms names where you talked about earlier. So if you think about, um, you know, there 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 are companies like Broadcom or um, or uh, Qualcomm that like play into some of the some of those trends as suppliers to some of those companies. Um, oh, I mean, maybe they're they're not as cheap. Um, certainly NVIDIA is not as cheap. Um, yeah, well, and, and there, don't forget, there's a difference between if you're fabulous, relying on TSMC, or you have your own manufacturing capabilities. Right. And those are two very different things. Like, I'm completely torn on Intel, for example, right. because of that, because I think their long-term forecast for double-digit growth, I find incredibly aggressive. Having said that, I think in the short term, you look at the PE, PE on that company and the fact that they are going to be heavily supported by, you know, the current, uh, our, our government to build fabs in the US, you know, they're going to gain share just because the geopolitic, political environment demands it. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's one that I go back and forth with in my own head, um, given all everything we just discussed. Okay, um, I've 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 pushed this longer than I should have. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate your staying on for some extra questions. Um, always great to talk to you, Dan. Thank you so much for being with us. We will do this again soon. Um, maybe we'll uh, we'll find a more uh, happier uh, moment in the market when stocks are not falling apart. Um, but uh, but again, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks to uh, our listeners as well for being with us today. Please join us again tomorrow. Uh, the, the, it will be Investors Business Daily Deputy Markets Editor, uh, David uh, Sato-Chung and Alyssa Corum, who's the Multimedia Content Editor at IBD. They'll be talking about uh, why you shouldn't hold beaten down leaders of the past. That's uh, right in line with some of the things we've just been talking about. Um, thank you for being with us. Please be well, stay safe, and join us again soon. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.